0: Thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast from Visit Aurora from the Raptors of the Stanley Marketplace. This is the show dedicated to telling the stories of Aurora, Colorado. Hi there, I'm Dave, the Senior Marketing Manager for Visit Aurora. The culinary world is a beautiful convergence of art, science, and the demands of our senses. Dissatisfied by the options available to those with food allergies and intolerances, Gina DiTulio created Gina's Kitchen, a dynamic Aurora restaurant where creativity and dietary inclusivity are pillars. Good morning, Gina.
1: Good morning, David. Thank you so much for having me.
0: The name Tulio evokes images of a big Italian family dinner. Uh, I don't imagine a lot of that was dairy or gluten free. Is that an accurate <laughs> guess of what life was like growing up? Absolutely.
1: I think that was probably one of my most sad realizations when I ended up dairy free and gluten free was that the Italian food was going to be a struggle to try
0: to figure out how to make and or find, so. Gina, you didn't start off as a chef by trade. Your path was in the performing arts. Yes. You started your personal gluten, egg, peanut and dairy free quest, as you put it, in 2011. What was the catalyst of impetus that caused that change in your lifestyle initially?
1: Well, I have a chronic cough and I've had it since I was 31 years old and Western medicine couldn't really figure out what was wrong. So I finally went to, um, actually I was working at a chiropractic's office and Um, Everyone who came in with different ailments would get allergy tests, and so I thought, well, you know, I don't probably have an issue with gluten, but I'm going to try it anyway, just get rid of it just to see, and I took the test, and I was indeed allergic to or intolerant to gluten, dairy, egg, peanuts, so... That changed my life a lot. And I am a a baker just by hobby. I was and so I wasn't able to do any of the fun things I wanted to anymore. So it just kind of led me down a new chemistry path of trying to figure out how how to bake. Um, for myself, and then I ended up doing it for the public as well.
0: Did a light bulb go off after that allergy test? Was there a oh, that's why I felt bad for all these years, or I had these specific issues? Did it was it kind of a, a, a luminous moment for you?
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, allergies affect people in different ways, and intolerances, and especially gluten, it can be skin or it can be joints. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. For me, it's brain fog. And I would find myself, you know, self out in Walmart, not knowing how I got there or where I put my keys or finding stuff in the freezer, just really weird things that um, after I eliminated the gluten, they made sense because I was no longer doing them. And then one time I got accidentally poisoned, I call it, but I accidentally ingested gluten. And I started feeling all of those things again. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, it's so weird that And that's
0: what the familiarity was. On the the other side of that, when you eliminated gluten from your diet initially, what was the impact? Did you notice a great impact immediately or was it a slow realization of, okay, I'm feeling better. My life has improved generally. It's a slow one because it
1: takes a long time for the body to repair after especially years of um, ingesting food that you're not supposed to. So I had leaky gut and that's something that, yeah months later I would, I I would start to feel better and so it was more of a retroactive wow this is kind of cool versus oh yeah immediately you know some people though if they have the more um, gastric issues with gluten they'll notice it immediately because their stomach stops hurting so
0: so as you start baking for yourself and developing the idea of, of recipes for yourself what was your initial experience like going to local restaurants and grocery stores and the offerings that they had even you know 15 years ago?
1: Well, restaurants were pretty much, null. No, I couldn't actually go out, and yeah. it was very disappointing to me. Grocery stores, um, because I have multiple food allergies, that was also a struggle. Um, most of the cookies that were gluten-free would also have eggs or milk or both, and the product that was gluten, dairy, Again, peanut-free usually was very salty, or it had a lot of fat in it, or it was just dry. Mm. So it was it was abysmal, and I realized I was going to have to figure it out myself. So I went I went home, and I was like, well, I'll just make cookies. Well, that's not happening either, because I had to find a flour blend that worked, or you know, one that didn't have any dairy in it, because most of them have dairy. Yeah. So it was just a a kind of a journey of experimentation at that point.
0: You begin that experimentation with your own recipes, sharing them with friends and family initially. When did you know this is something I could be doing to help a lot more people?
1: So um, years and years ago, I had a a sandwich business called the Gorilla Grinders, and I sold them out on the street corners at Champa and 18th. And I didn't last long. Um, Quiznos put me out of business pretty quickly. But I knew at that point that I had to have a commissary if I was going to do anything publicly. So my friend came to me in 2015, I think, and he said, you know, there's this new Cottage Food Act where you can do this in your home if you want to start selling these again. So I, at first I was like, I'm not going down that road again. And yeah. then I thought, you know, if I can do it from my house, why not? And it probably will never grow and I'll never end up having to use a commissary. So I'll just start it here and see what happens. So that um, was in 2015 when I just decided to to try. I had one co- one cookie and one granola that I was making for myself. Yeah. And so I started to... Um, sell those and see how, you know, they, how people are receptive to it and,
0: and it kind of blew up. <laughs> it's a big jump going from what is essentially a, a personal passion to making it a business, your livelihood. What, was there a light bulb moment that inspired you to open Gina's Kitchen and the iteration of, of what it is now?
1: Absolutely. Um, Gina's Kitchen Delights, which was the cottage bakery, grew out of my house and in order to make it in order to find a space I would have to work in a commissary again as I said no commissaries accommodate all of those allergies yeah so the first check was to find a space or to buy a space and make a commissary for myself and other people like me to um to try to sell the goods and then I thought well if I do I want a little storefront or a stand where I can sell the baked goods for people to come in and then I thought you know everyone loves my hot food too I'm a, a caterer I do weddings, I do parties, I have my own parties, and people come for the food, so why not expand and just do a storefront that offers hot food as well as baked goods?
0: What's the cliche, obstacles only exist when you take your eyes off the goal? You mentioned the fact that there weren't commissaries that could accommodate what you needed to deliver. When it came to establishing the business, what were some of the other surprises that sprung up during that process of opening a quote-unquote brick-and-mortar location?
1: Right away, I thought that I would need to join a collective or a community kind of effort in order to get my food out and to get my word out because I don't see myself as a business person. I see myself as a as a baker. Right. And so, you know, the actual advertising part I thought would be very burdensome. So I, I joined the collective over at Parkside um, thinking that that would be helpful. Um, and then we had some issues with construction in in the parking lot. I'm sure everyone's heard of it um, with the apartment building blowing up. And then after that, everyone in the eatery seemed to just become very much about their own businesses and not part of any kind of a community. So that's been a huge struggle for me is I'm a very community-oriented person and I'm having a hard time getting everyone else to be on board and supportive as a collective. So that was, if I were to do it again, I would do a standalone space.
0: Part of the idea of community, though I imagine, is is you must have found community within the intolerance and allergy community. Uh, what was that process like, and how did you develop those relationships?
1: That's a great question. Uh, that was another surprise for me was that I don't get a lot of foot traffic, so um, my guests were actually putting me on different apps okay. that were very helpful. They would put me on gluten, find me gluten free, and Happy Cow, and, and Google was very helpful. So I discovered that. Trying to cultivate trying to attract people into the store with just random people wasn't working. but I, I get all kinds of people through the apps, um, people at the hospital that come into town for mm. their families yeah. or themselves, and people driving through from the east because there's absolutely nothing in the small towns you know east of here or even the states east of here. So it it just became it became more about putting the word out digitally. I'm yeah. getting people specifically to come to me. And and so that's what I do. Only about 10% of my traffic is, is just drop in people. Everyone is very focused on finding
0: Gina's Kitchen. As you mentioned, Gina's Kitchen is inside of Aurora's Parkside Eatery, which is a very unique venue right near the town center at Aurora. It also shares a space near a large apartment building, which, as you mentioned, suffered a devastating explosion a while back. How did that event affect your business? And, and have you seen a bounce back since that time
1: it really was devastating David you know I had I was a a really early morning business, the only one, and so I tried to continue breakfasts, but losing that captive audience, all the breakfast people went away, so then I ended up a lunch and dinner place, which is fine, but I just don't think we got to grow. We didn't have the opportunity to to grow in a normal arc, so we were just flatlined for the longest time. Um, The landlords finally, um, in May, I think, started to re-rent the space, the apartments, Um, It's about 40% full. But in all honesty, I, I don't really notice a difference. I feel like I still am reliant on and very appreciative of the people who come and find me. It's definitely not even a factor. And whether it would have ever been, I don't even know, you know, there's no way to go back and say, Oh, we'd be in such a better place if it hadn't blown up. Because it doesn't seem to make a difference now at 50% capacity. So I don't know.
0: Gina's Kitchen is part bakery, part bistro. What, was that the plan all along for it to develop into more broad offerings? And, and how has that concept evolved since you opened?
1: Thank you for asking that. Um, that that part has been really great. Uh, initially, because I was a bakery before, most people weren't used to the hot food offerings. Um, I've been finding, though, that if it wasn't for having both hot and bakery, I wouldn't be in business because they—they they basically are about fifty percent of the business each. Yeah. Sometimes you know one beats the others, but but the you know most of the time it's just head to head. People are interested in both, so. Um, some people are like, well, you know, it's a struggle to to stretch yourself like that. Maybe you shouldn't do food. Maybe you shouldn't do bakery. And I'm like, well, then I'll be out of business because both are a huge need in my neighborhood.
0: Uh, on the other side of that, you could have easily named the business Gina's Bakery, and then you've you've painted yourself into a, a corner. Where you have to do a full rebrand to articulate to the market that you do more than bake. So it was probably a good foresight to to make it gina's kitchen so that you can do whatever you need to do as as you grow and expand
1: yeah fair enough thank you yeah for pointing that out that's very true and i've had the hard a hard time getting the landlord to recognize that we are hot food and bakery and i told him when we first moved in you know we're more than a bakery and mm-hmm. even even like two months ago he was like don't try to change your brand gina do the bakery And i'm like we're not just a bakery so i printed up papers. Um, for my food baskets that say we're not just a bakery anymore and it's it's actually something I'm promoting out as a slogan
0: so that people recognize this getting back to the art of what you do how do you balance the creative aspects of menu planning with the practical considerations of running a successful business
1: I don't know I'm so much I don't know that I'm very effective at the balancing part because I get so excited about creating new things. I think we're probably up to about 150 different baked goods now. Wow. that litter our wall. We have a wall of magnets of all the labels of everything. So um I I think I probably drive my staff crazy because every time they come in there's something new in the case. But the customers love it. They love that they can get their standbys. There are their good old doorbells that they just absolutely love and their cookies. And then what has Gina created now? What's the new thing in the case? So it's 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 hard because it's a lot of stuff, but I definitely am more creative in the bakery than I am in the food. The food it's a little bit It's a little bit more challenging and less efficient to be innovative and um, spontaneous and impromptu on the food, hot food side, because I'd have to change the menu and I'd have to do all of those things. But bakery, I can kind of slide things in under the radar.
0: Are there certain menu offerings or recipes that you get particularly excited about?
1: Yes, I I've discovered I make really good soup. I didn't know. (laughs) I was always so scared of soup. And now everyone who comes in, they're just like, your soup is my favorite thing. So I'm very excited that I've mastered the soup. I've mastered the bread. And um, I get very, very excited about making things, all things chocolate. So that's my favorite is the chocolate.
0: Uh, I asked this question on another episode. Um, I'm always fascinated by those in the culinary arts. Is baking more difficult than... ...traditionary culinary skills or other tr- culinary skills. There's there's an added layer of science to baking, I, I feel.
1: <laughs> there is, and I love science. Yeah. Um, I think some people feel that way because with cooking, you can just uh, put a splash of this and, you know, a little pinch of that, um, which I definitely cook that way. That also drives my staff crazy because they can't <laughs> replicate any of my recipes right. when I'm doing the soups and such. Um, baked goods, though, I think... Once you figure out your basic science of the the flour, what needs to happen, the leavening, the you know the stuff that creates the glutinous effect, any of that, then you can just be creative on top of it. Yeah. So I think years ago, yeah, I was scared of it, but now I don't have the same. I, I feel like you can be just as creative um, as once you understand the underlying science of it.
0: But the underlying science of quote unquote traditional baking is Algebra 3, right? (laughs) When you're now integrating these gluten-free technologies and dietary restrictions and allergies and sensitivities, you're now doing advanced calculus, I imagine. How much more difficult is it when you have to take into account these quote unquote non-traditional ways of baking?
1: Fair enough. I think that that's a really good point. Um, I have had to become somewhat of a nutritionalist Mm -hmm. because I need, you know, knowing what people's allergens are and how I can replace if they can't have this type of nut. Then well, that's replacing the oil in the recipe. So then, what would be a good alternative? Um, Also, you know, I had this gentleman come in just the other day. He can't have any nightshades and he wanted pizza crust and and our pizza crust has potato starch in it so he was just so excited that I was going to try to adapt something for him and we mapped it out on the board and we were doing you know four, 155 grams of this and that and we were able to replace the potato starch with a um, a ratio of probably like three to one of arrowroot and sweet rice flour and so i gave him three different choices that had arrowroot that had um tapioca starch and then the sweet rice flour and so he picked the one that was best for his mouth mouth feel and and so we were able to create a whole new product for him so that was fun and you're right it does take some science and knowledge and understanding how those other starches react because some of them if you put too much um, tapioca starch or arrowroot in something it ends up like boogers versus
0: right <laughs> versus cornstarch
1: you know yeah
0: it's a true convergence though of art and science what
1: <laughs> that's me i'm yeah. an art and scientist because i love computer <laughs> science and physics and math but i am a performing
0: artist and cook as well you you literally just touched on my next question but i would like for you to delve into it even more you know given your commitment to offering allergy sensitive food that tastes delicious how do you approach the process of adapting traditional recipes to meet gluten free and vegan requirements while maintaining that high standard of taste how, how else is that manifested mhm
1: google helps a lot because yeah. there are so many different flours and starches that i've not even ever heard of i'm actually wanting to start to play with sorghum flour a little bit more <clears throat> excuse me that I was, that I was um, a little bit more um, nervous about in the past. But basically, just getting to know your product, getting to know the ingredients, and understanding how they chemically react to each other, and what their viscosity is, or what their um, their consistency is. If you add liquid, if you don't, if you need to add extra baking soda, you know, versus baking powder, you know? And and so I just think each little individual ingredient reacts differently with the other. So it's just becoming very familiar with all of the the aspects of your ingredients.
0: There seems to have been a lot of advances in food technology, particularly in the last decade, compared to when you first started your dietary quest. What are some of the biggest innovations you've seen over the last decade for those with allergies or dietary intolerances? What are the big game-changers out there?
1: I think it's all the starches, to be honest. You know, we've got cassava plant, or cassava, which comes from the root of a yucca plant. I mean, who would think that that's something that you can cook with, you know? And I used to make tortillas out of it and found out that that's actually a Native American tradition, is that they use that for the starch in their foods. So that one, and then the different types of sugars. I'm not an artificial sweetener person. Um, Stevia is probably um, something that I like to use because it comes off of a plant. But now there's monk fruit, you know, and there's... um, date sugar and sweet potato sugar and beet sugar and all of this stuff that's really natural that you can use that has less glycemic load than normal sugar it's not processed and who would have thought that you know somebody who's having candida or gut allergies to a regular sugar could actually have you know a sweet potato sugar or a
0: date sugar so i think that's really cool that people have options we talk about inclusion in a cultural sense and in workplaces and it's really interesting that you're creating an environment of inclusivity through your work. Do you feel uh, a sense of responsibility to embrace people that maybe feel cast aside by traditional uh, food?
1: Absolutely, I do. I think it's so important in for inclusivity in any environment. Yeah. And when when it happens with food, it's It's painful because that's we love we show love through food. Mm -hmm. We have social interactions and connections with people through food. And for years, going to an event or a work event or something where I have to bring my own food or I have to sit and just drink tea because there's nothing else for me to have it's it's hard and it's sad. So being able to provide product that everyone can have and that's one of my other slogans that I try to do is that there's something for everyone at Genius, yep. you know and be able to, to see their faces when they come in and they're so excited that they have choices and it's not just sit down and you can you know take all of the bread and cheese and everything off of a hamburger and you have a piece of meat on a plate it's right. not like that you know so being able to provide all that is very very important to me and if someone has a family member or a group of friends that are stubborn and they don't want to eat gluten free because they think they don't have to or or they shouldn't, or they don't even want to try it, coming to the eatery is great because then they can have fried chicken or they can have tacos, and the friend who can't have those other things can still get something from Gina's, and we can all sit and and have a meal.
0: There's a surprising lack of empathy for folks with dietary intolerances because sometimes people believe it's a fad or a cliche or attention-grabbing, which that's got to be absolutely frustrating because there's real physical implications as to why you're taking these things out of your diet have you seen an improvement in i guess the stigma of people with dietary intolerances Has that has that changed Has that gotten better
1: i think it depends on where you are you know i i completely agree with you where uh, and some people are they just want to get rid of it because it's a fat or because they think it's going to help them lose weight or you know but there are those of us who really do struggle with it and you know I, i had a A homeopathic doctor one time tell me, you know, if you want to be safe in a restaurant, Gina, and they ask you if you're celiac, just say yes, even if you're not. Because that's the only way you can guarantee they're going to protect you. Because if they think it's just a choice, they're going to be less um, helpful. And and it could put you at risk. And I thought that was really sad. I don't want to have to lie and say something that may not be true. So I think that um, the perception is kind of changing a little bit. I think, you know, I did have someone come in just the other day and they were like, do you make non gluten cakes? And I was like, No, you know, we we try to keep gluten, we, we keep gluten, dairy, egg and peanuts out of our store, etc. And he's like, Oh, well, I'm gonna go find a gluten full cake. And I was like, fine, okay. you know, it's fine targets it. next door exactly exactly <laughs> you know so we do have the perception that people still think we're weird and and they're not sure what what's right. what you know if they should try it so we try to give out samples as much as possible to help people understand that it's just food it's regular food most people don't even know that it has um allergen restrictions on the food so so i don't know it just depends and then if you go to a small town absolutely the perception has not changed
0: yeah absolutely yeah. Your personal experience helps guide the menu at Gina's Kitchen, but talk about some of the, the feedback that you've gotten from customers about your offerings with similar dietary needs and, and how affirming that must be.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. It makes me feel so good, and I'm so happy when I get a good review or when somebody, you know, a child starts crying because they have, you know, something that they can have for their birthday. And um, I just get really excited about that feedback, um, most people are very grateful. I have people who want to volunteer at the store because they know that we're, you know, we're still struggling, and so we don't have the money to hire. I don't have the money to hire enough people to be able to help and give me time off, and they're so worried that we're going to go under or that I'm going to burn out. And so they're just volunteering. Um, I have people volunteering to hang out, hand out flyers, and it's just really sweet the way that the that the gluten allergen sensitivity. Allergen sensitivity I can't talk. Allergy sensitive and also the vegan community have just really come forward to help support us, and and uh, they're all very grateful that we're here.
0: Given the specialized focus on gluten, egg, peanut, and, and dairy-free options, how do you approach sourcing ingredients to not only maintain the quality and integrity of your allergy-sensitive dishes, but also to remain competitive and in, in in a price? I guess, perspective.
1: Yeah, that has really been hard. A lot of our product is, um, our materials are sourced from retail. So um, I've been working with Cisco quite a bit, actually, to try to get more of the allergy sensitive items in their store, um, their warehouse, but right now it's mostly, it's still mostly Amazon. I've been able to cut back on natural grocers a little because the Cisco dot warehouse um, is t- starting to hold um, carry more of the alternative stuff that natural grocers would provide. I was able to get um, more of the alternative flowers online through Webstaurant store, which is, I have to have a membership, so it still is expensive, but it's not as expensive as, say, buying it in smaller items through Amazon. So yeah, we're still struggling there, and I would like to be able to, to come up with more large-scale bulk kind of options for our ingredients. Um, it does cost more for us so we have less of a profit margin and, and I struggle with that too because we need to still make a living but I don't want to raise my prices for my customers right you know so we're kind of trying to balance that and see if we can get away with not having to do that this year
0: a very powerful aspect of running and operating a business particularly one that sells foods is the the consumer reviews that you can find online um, to what degree do you go down the rabbit hole of internet reviews and does it impact the way you approach your business at all?
1: You know, I get mostly good reviews. <laughs> so right. so that's a good thing. But I do get some that are, I get frustrated with some of them um, because they are some that are lower reviews about pricing or about the size of the product or you know one woman was really upset because she thought that I only used olive oil in the in the store and she found out I also used palm shortening or palm oil so it was it was just interesting because I I get these people that have a struggle with Gina's kitchen and so they write it down in a review for all the world to see and you know and I'll Thank them for the review and and explain it and try to have a conversation with them offline to, you know, make their their experience better. But then they just never respond. So it just it. I don't really change the way I do business, but it does affect me because I want everyone to be okay. And I if I did something or if one of my employees did something that was a struggle for them, I'd love for them to just come to me, talk to me. I will make it right. I'm a really nice lady. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I I just want everyone to be and and have a good experience.
0: Well, and a lot of those, quote unquote, issues could be resolved with a little understanding, a 30 second conversation. But sometimes people just want to feel a sense of superiority. So here's their chance to assert their authority on the Internet. But it can actually have you know, a detrimental impact on these businesses. And I don't think everybody fully grasps that there are real people and their dreams are tied to these businesses. Yeah. And they, they want a positive experience for everybody who walks through that door. yeah. Sometimes just a little, you know, a little actual personal contact would create um, that understanding. Uh, Do you still get to express yourself in the performing arts, or has Gina's Kitchen commandeered all of your time?
1: It has commandeered 150% of my (laughs) time, to be honest. Um, I do sponsor, though, karaoke um, at the Parkside Eatery every other Saturday, um, which I I pay for myself because it's really important to me to still bring music and, Mm -hmm. and creativity to Parkside. So I get to sing there, which and is really an incredible lovely. incredible
0: singer. I've known Gina for a long time. She's a very good singer.
1: <laughs> Thank you, David. Um, I also do, do um, Wednesday's work, 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 wind down Wednesdays where we have musicians come in. And nice. sometimes those musicians are part of Pure Sound, which was the band I was in for a while. So um, Tim and Michael will, will set up and sing, and then I can, I can pop in and, and do a couple things with them. So I get to perform a little bit there, but otherwise... No, my performance is just bakery and and eatery now.
0: But you talked a little bit earlier about community building at Parkside Eatery. You, you know, if if it's not a built-in culture, maybe you create a community and it sounds like you're starting to do that a little bit, so that's got to feel pretty good.
1: Yeah, it it really is. I would love to bring creative creative arts to Parkside and as a matter of fact, I represent artists there as well. Mm-hmm. I have them with their art on the wall. Oh, yeah, we do. have a jewelerist now. Mm-hmm. We've got Katie Critters, and it's a wonderful little crocheting critters that she makes. So I definitely want to keep you know community support and art in in
0: Parkside for sure. Looking forward, uh, what's the evolution of Gina's Kitchen?
1: Well, I can't really say publicly yet, but we might be expanding to another place. It would not be removing from our, um, Aurora. We would still be in Aurora, but... Um, because of the fact that I'm struggling so much in the current store, I feel like if we stay where we are, it's we may not make it. So I'm thinking about expanding and doing a smaller version of Gina's kitchen in a different town, different city, where it's going to be a little bit more embraced. So hopefully the two of them together will be able to get, get us far. But if we can't do that right away, then it will ad- eventually happen. Um, Boulder and Fort Collins are, are where I would like Gina's Kitchen to go um, ultimately and just keep expanding as we go.
0: If there's anything that I want to come out of this conversation for those listening on their phones or on their desktop or in the car or wherever they are, it's that yes, Genus Kitchen is an amazing place for those with dietary restrictions, allergens and But beyond that, it's just a great place for great food. Don't let the fact that Gina serves gluten-free vegan options, that there aren't things on her menu that you're not gonna that you're gonna absolutely love because I'm a testament to that. I'm a full glutinous carnivore and I love everything that Gina serves. It's delicious food, it's done well, it's done with love, and you owe it to yourself to go check it out. You're depriving yourself of great food. If you stop short of going into Gina's because you believe it's only for people with dietary restrictions, it's not the case.
1: Thank you so much, David. That was very sweet, and I appreciate you very much.
0: I appreciate you as well, Gina. Thank you for taking the time. Make sure you visit Gina's Kitchen at Parkside Eatery at 14515 East Alameda Avenue at the corner of Alameda and Sable. Check out our menu now at ginaskitchenparkside.com, and make sure to follow on social media as well at Gina's Kitchen Parkside. Thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast. Visit Aurora is the official destination marketing organization for the city of Aurora, Colorado and acts as the primary liaison between meeting planners and hotel partners. As Aurora's convention and visitors bureau, Visit Aurora's mission is grounded in showcasing Aurora as a premier destination for meetings, business and leisure travel. Visit Aurora represents more than 75 plus hotel properties with 13,500 plus guest rooms and more than 1 million square feet of meeting space including Colorado's largest resort, Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center. As Colorado's third largest city, Aurora is located minutes away from Denver International Airport and showcases mountain views, memorable meeting spaces, and 250 plus international eateries that offer a unique experience for each and every visitor. As the gateway to the Rockies, Visit Aurora's role in the local community goes beyond marketing the city as a destination. The Visit Aurora team is here to assist you with your Colorado visit, from facilitating your meeting, event, or convention to helping you discover local flavor and attractions. Go beyond the boardroom in Aurora, Colorado. For more, visit us at visitaurora.com.